Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society. This is episode 117. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And we're sitting in our van in the middle of Durham. What in the world? Sherlock's tied to the side of the van and he's rolling on his back in the sunshine. And it's the middle of winter. But a warm day. So Gumby, why are we here? That's a big question. We are in the parking lot of a hospice. Um few days ago. How long ago was it? Um, almost a week. Yeah, my mom had a second stroke and um, lost consciousness, and her boyfriend um, found he couldn't wake her up, so he called the ambulance, and um, we found out about it, and as soon as we could, got up here, and we've been here ever since. Um, and if you find it kind of strange that in the middle of all this, you know, my mom's still... Uh, holding on to life, but she's got a lot of things wrong with her. I mean, it would, uh, this is, this is it for her. I mean, she's not coming out of this. Um, that it's strange that we would take the time to do a podcast with this happening. Our kind of thinking on it is we want to share what's happening in our lives. Like our whole kind of philosophy on this has been to try to be really upfront about everything that happens. You know, we share embarrassing things. We share when we fight. And um, God knows this is a very important thing that's happening that we're in the middle of now. And uh, we share for anybody who might benefit from what we're talking about, as well as ourselves. You know, we listen back to our podcast sometimes, and uh, it's a really good way for us to kind of document, I don't know, I guess our lives, you know, these these points in our lives, these milestones, these mile markers. (sighs) And it gives us a little break, too. As you might imagine, and I'm sure many of our listeners have experienced the death of a loved one, um, it's really hard, and it gives us a little break to just step away, and, um, you know, of course, we're going to talk about some of the things that are are related to this, um, but also it gives us a break to think about other things, to talk about stuff that just kind of, like, isn't related to this, because we've literally been spending, like, almost every moment, except at night when we go out to our van and go to sleep, we wake up and we go right back in there at her bedside, and, um, yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah, just, uh, supporting Nancy, Gumby's mom, on her, uh, her journey there. She's, she's taken a, She's taking a long, tough route, but uh, but right now she's resting peacefully and relaxed. And uh, you know, I gotta say, all things considered, it's uh, it's as nice as it could be. I I think. Yeah, the hospice has been really nice. Most of the nurses are really great. Um, there's a doctor here who uh, I don't <laughs> like, and uh, I don't know. She seems kind of condescending and. I mean, I guess she's got about the easiest job in the world working at a hospice. She's not expected to, uh, you know, bring one single patient out. Yeah. Um, I guess she's just mainly here to call the time of death. Um, but the nurses have been wonderful, really gentle, and they try to make this a really nice space. And my mom has been well taken care of. Um, she's cleaned up and her hair brushed and a nice, uh, you know, uh, gown and bedding and nice room and um you know I told Teresa when we came out here part of me you know is of course um dealing with this you know the grief and everything and part of me just can't stop being practical you know I mean I think in terms of resources it's how I get through my life living like this so you know we've been utilizing the hot shower and um things like that so um yeah so, Teresa, what have you got on, uh, yeah, what you got on your mind? Well, in case people 
aren't familiar with the concept of hospice, um, it's mainly for people who are not going to get better. And sometimes it's a surprising thing. Sometimes people get better um, at least enough so that they can go home and maybe spend some more time at their house with care. But mostly people come here to die. And uh, some amount of medication is given. They're not heavily drugged, which surprised me. Um, just a little bit of like Valium to relax the muscles so that they can, um, the, the patient can, you know, just ease into whatever's going on. And we don't know what's going on, you know, like you can have all sorts of sciencey theories and stuff, but we don't know. I, I'd like to think that Nancy can hear us and feel our presence and our touch and our love, but I don't know how far along that path she is. And it gives me pause to think about um, how different it is for, for like animals in our lives versus humans. And when an animal is suffering, you know, a lot of times people take their animal to the vet nowadays and they give them like one or two shots, I can't remember, and, and it's, it's done, it's over. Um, but when a human is suffering, we can't do that, not legally. And uh, so, um, aside from the ongoing illnesses, whether it's stroke or, you know, chronic kidney disease or whatever, uh, kidney failure, um, they're basically starving to death, you know? They don't give food or water to the, uh, the people in there. They're just waiting for the body to, to go through what it needs to go through so that the body can, can move on. And that's interesting because not only just the different way that we treat lives, but also, you know, to think about like the, the essence of who you are versus this body. And are we so separate from the body? Yeah, it's uh, one of the really strange parts of this is my mom has had so many health problems. I've been in so many hospital rooms with her. Um and the goal has always been to get her out, to get her better. And it's striking that this is the first time that I've been in a room like this with her, that there's not a bunch of tubes, that there's not a bunch of people trying to make her better, um, that that's not the goal. And I keep having to kind of remind myself of that. Um, we've seen visitors come in, her boyfriend, and there's a, a neighbor that she had, was on pretty friendly terms with. And I say pretty friendly because my mom didn't really have friends. She just... Uh, didn't reach out to people. Um, but this woman really liked her and, you know, kind of, I guess, kind of pushed herself <laughs> on my mom whenever the opportunity was there. And, uh, and my mom would eventually open up as she does. And it's interesting to see the, see the way people come in and talk and like, open your eyes, Nancy, open your eyes, you know, like they're trying to wake her up. You know, it's the kind of thing that, that would be appropriate in maybe a hospital room. Like, all right, we're going to get you out of here. And I guess we just don't know how to act around death. Um, yeah. We don't know what else to do, you know? So we go in as if we're trying to make the person better. And that's one of the strange things right now is knowing that I'm not here for my mom to get better. I'm just here um, for whatever my presence may benefit her. And I've tried to... I've always said I'm somebody that doesn't really have many regrets. And, um, yeah, I guess. There's always a feeling of, for me, like when my dad passed away um, almost a year ago, almost a year ago to this day, um, there's just a feeling of, like, I wish I had talked to him more. I, I wish I had spent more time with him. I feel like I talked to my mom enough. What I regret, well, before I even go there, one of the things I, I tell my mom, and I tell her this every time I lean over and talk to her, is don't be afraid. Hmm. Um, I'd like to invite anybody who, uh, I don't know, d invite anybody who would to listen to her interview, Rebel Without a Cause, interview Nancy. The last thing she said, and I made a shots out of this because I thought this was a particularly poignant part of her interview, was if she could talk to herself as a little girl, what would she tell herself? And she'd tell herself not to be afraid. Don't let fear rule your life, I think were her 
exact words. And I feel like that's a theme in her life. And so I keep trying to remind her of that. Yeah. I don't know what <clears throat> what journey she's on. But, uh, you know, I just keep, keep trying to, hopefully my voice gets through whatever it needs to get through and to remind her, like, remember, you know, what you realized was a big lesson for you is don't be afraid. And um, I think about... <clears throat> We, we believe what we choose to believe, you know? There's so many things in this life, so many things that we don't know. Maybe we don't know anything. Mm-hmm. It's all stuff we don't know, but we choose to believe things. And a lot of those things we choose to believe because it serves us in some way. And I choose to believe my mom is going to a better place. And, um, and I guess, you know... It's not just choosing to believe that. I also bring my rational mind into that. And um, it just doesn't make sense that anything bad would happen in death. You know, I I talked to uh, some of the nurses coming in. I'd say, how do you feel? You know, somebody in this line of work, you're around death all the time. How do you feel about death? What do you think it is? What do you think happens on the other side there? And one woman was a Christian and, you know, she told me, you know, from a Christian point of view, she does believe in heaven and hell. And uh, a part that really stood out to me that she said was, um, I believe we reap what we sow. So how we die has a lot to do with how we lived our lives. Mm. And, uh, you know, I saw the parallel with Buddhism, the karma. We reap what we sow. That's karma. And, um, you know, one woman said, I don't think that people just fall into a void. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, it's a lot of people when they think they're being scientific and rational, I think might think death is just the end. It's blackness. It's the end. But that doesn't make sense to me from a rational point of view, not just me choosing what to believe because we spend our whole lives connected. We spend our whole lives literally being so much more than we think we are. Our lungs don't work without the trees. We're part tree. Uh, the air we breathe isn't just trapped in our our lungs and our noses, it's its the atmosphere itself. We're 80% water, and that water evaporates from our skin. We piss it out. Um, it goes back into the water cycle. It might go all around this globe as rain, as fog, as rivers, and then come back to us or come back to somebody else. So with that kind of connection, I've got to imagine death is similar. And I'd like to think that what death is is the dropping of the illusion that we're separate. And so I keep trying to reassure my mom, you know, that something good is about to happen. Don't be afraid. Whatever this process is you're going through, whatever you're hanging on for right now, um, just not to be afraid. Yeah, and I've, wow, Gumby, I don't know how you're doing this. Like, this is hard for me and... um, I'd say if we're doing this, let's just do it. Pour your heart out. I mean, whatever you got to say, say it. Yeah. Well, I know you... You have waves of emotion, as you put it. Um, yeah, I, I experience grief in waves. I'll just go for a couple of days and, you know, I guess be kind of stony-faced, you know. I'll say, hey, Therese, you want to go step outside and play some Frisbee and stuff, you know, and I don't see anybody else doing stuff like that at a hospice. But, and then just out of nowhere, like this morning, you know, it just comes this big wave. I, I didn't know if I could go in that room this morning. Um, so, yeah, I guess we all grieve differently, and that's how I do it. And it it is... You know, as nice as this hospice is, I don't want to make it sound bad when I say this, but it it does feel strange. I don't think it's just us because we are mainly outside all the time, but it is an indoor place. You know, luckily they have a big window and we've been told by uh, the doctor, we'll have to see if she's right, but that the, um, the beds can actually be wheeled through the the little door into a patio that's adjoining um, Nancy's room. And did you mention this already that we've we've been here, you know, over the past several days, and we've seen not only a raccoon but we've seen two foxes and some hawks as well. No, I didn't mention that, but it's it's interesting the wildlife that's around here because as you might hear in the background, we are surrounded by traffic. We are right. In one of the busy parts of Durham, and uh, yeah, these animals just seem so casual. These, this, uh, we just literally right before this podcast saw a pair of gray foxes just walking around like they were somebody's pets. Mm. Um, I think mainly they're checking the bird seed around here, and we saw a raccoon the other night, which was kind of a special symbol for us because uh, in the little tiny house that I built before we moved into the van, 
found a picture of a raccoon, and we kind of think of the raccoon as sort of one of our totems, a totem <laughs> animal, because he's a scavenger. Trash panda. Yeah, trash panda. <laughs> and not just a scavenger, but also a survivalist. The raccoon does well in the city and also out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what we aspire to, to uh, navigate both worlds with just what we have, like the raccoon does. So to see the raccoon, and also in my mom's room of all the animals, there's a picture of no other animal but a raccoon. So that felt pretty uh, significant, an animal that we already have a resonance with. And yet there's still this feeling of, like, because it's the middle of winter, you know, we have a nice day today, but um, we've kind of been surrounded with uh, colder temperatures. And, uh, yeah, I just want to be able to be outside and, like, you know, roll Nancy out so she can feel the sun on her face. But Which we may do later if it's warm enough. Yeah, yeah. And it just occurs to me, you know, again, we, we talked about this in Death Cult, but I don't know if we really know how to die. I mean, it's going to happen to all of us, so it doesn't really matter if we know. But do you have any thoughts on, uh, like, I don't know, it just, it, it feels like nobody really knows what they're doing. We're just trying to, like, be loving and and kind and hope that the person is um, not experiencing any pain. Yeah, I I wouldn't even say that necessarily. Um, We don't want our loved ones to experience pain, but I hope they're experiencing whatever's going to serve them. And I can't can't really rule pain out. Hmm. Pain has been a teacher to me, and if that's what's going to serve my mom, um, yeah, I wouldn't say just flat out like, oh, no pain, that's too easy. Um, I don't know what we need for whatever comes next. And I guess whatever I, I'll, all I'd add to what you said, I already talked about what I thought death might be, is Teresa and I were talking this morning about how, you know, we build these walls around ourselves, these big, sturdy walls to protect ourselves. They seem necessary. And I think death is a crumbling of these walls. And it's it's a powerful thing someone's going through. And I'm um, just being near death. I think we get kind of a secondhand... Uh, experience of that. And so as I'm sitting there, I can't speak for Teresa, but I feel some of my walls crumbling. Some of my things that I thought I was solid in, I suddenly doesn't feel so solid. And it occurs to me what a gift that is when we're around death. It's kind of a gift that death gives to us even when we're not the ones at the gate yet, to just be near it, the proximity of death. To have a moment that those walls are down and to consider fresh, do we want to build them back up? Do they still serve us? Is this still who we are? Um, Because I think most of the time what we do, it's scary as fuck. I think a lot of what we're experiencing when our loved ones pass is the fear of those walls coming down. Hmm. The vulnerability. None of us want to cry. You know, none of us want to feel this way. And it's the vulnerability. Suddenly we're powerless. We can't help it. These emotions, these things are happening. We can't stop it. And so those walls, um, I think we typically, as quick as we can, scramble to build those walls back up. And, um, it's kind of like a, in a way, a survival mechanism. Yeah, go back to what felt safe. And um, I don't know. I think a lot of the things, I know a lot of the things that make us feel safe don't actually serve us. So that's something I've been keeping, trying to keep in mind this morning is to just... Uh, to consider that, you know, Teresa and I joke about the things that we say in our podcast too much, and uh, I often say, consider this, and mm-hmm. so we tease each other about that, but yeah, consider that. Um, I guess, did that answer what you were... Yeah. Yeah, and um, I've not been around anyone that's... I mean, I guess I'm saying I haven't been around death, even though I've experienced people dying in my family. Um, but I haven't been at their bedside. Um, I've kind of been, in a lot of ways, sheltered from that. So this is a new uh, a new experience for me, and I'm trying to take it as much as I can for the lesson that it is. And it is a um, it's a very difficult um, emotional emotionally what do they call it? Emotional labor. There's a lot that you don't realize when you have these strong emotions and those walls are crumbling down that, uh, it takes a lot of energy out of you, but 
Uh, I'm just trying to, of course, um, send my love and, and prayers to Nancy, but also, like, really let this in. Take those walls down and, and feel and, and observe and learn. And I don't want to just be full of shit here. I want to, like, be as open as I can. I figure, you know, when this is over, like everybody else, I'm probably going to scramble and build most of my walls right back up. And then I can talk about death as if it's at arm's length, as if it's something that's not actually going to happen to me Mm. and doesn't happen to the people around me. So uh, something I was touching on earlier that I want to make sure that I say is, uh, you know, I, I have some regrets. Um, and I'm, I want to share this in case there's somebody close to you that you might think you've said everything, you've done everything, and you're ready for this. Um, I'd invite you to look again. One of the things I regret is, um, my mom really liked cards. That's one thing, like, she didn't have much and I didn't want much, you know, there was nothing really to buy me for a gift, but she was pretty damn good about giving me cards. I don't give a shit about cards. And so since I don't give a shit about cards, I didn't give her cards. And it's little things like that. I wish I'd have made and given her more cards. I made her one card for Mother's Day and she framed it and put it on her wall. I mean, it's beautiful. It is, I mean... Part of it is uh, construction paper. There's a, a picture, a big picture of her with you. So pay attention to that, you know, things <laughs> like that. Um, <clears throat> I got kind of caught up in the resentment towards my mom. <clears throat> I never approved of the way she lived. I always felt like she was hiding from life, which is one of the reasons I live this way is I don't want to hide from life. I want to be out there and I want to take chances. And that's what my mom didn't do. And that resentment kind of gave me an attitude of like, well, you know, you made your bed. You wanted to keep people out. And we can't really come in very easily. So I left her alone a lot towards the end. And I wish I'd have brought her out with us more. I wish she had more uh, memories of sunshine and being outside and some of the beauty that we've got to experience she did like that time that uh you brought her out it was the last time and nancy's been i mean she's really had a rough year um physically and she's just uh she's just tried not to be a bother i i think that would be how she views her actions, you know, like she didn't even want to really have anything to eat or drink so people wouldn't have to take her to the bathroom or like, you know, help her out in that way. And that was just Nancy, you know, in a way, really stubborn, but in a way she was trying to be nice, you know, and so not asking for help, not asking to be brought outside, but she enjoyed it when, when you did bring her out in the wheelchair and everything. And Look, taking somebody out in a wheelchair on paved, you know, cement, that's one thing. But Gumby had to take her through a dirt driveway and like a sand pit up a hill to bring her out to where we're at. And she really expressed so much appreciation that day that I did. Um, Yeah, I look back and realize how much she let me know the things that mattered to her and uh, that I could have done a lot better listening. That's big of you to admit because... You know, I, as I'm just being a part of this experience, you know, I'm closing my eyes and thinking about my loved ones that are still here and, and trying to see anything that I might be missing because I've got, you know, I've got blinders on, I've got my walls up. Like if I close my eyes and I really put myself in that place to listen to them, like my grandma She's up there um, in Ohio, and she's making it. I mean, she's in her 80s, but I really want to go see her because I know that would mean the world to her, and I just need to do it. I just need to, like, get a rental car and, like, go up there and see her because I feel like I would regret 
not doing that. I know that means a lot to her. So that's that's what I'm talking about. Don't put it off. Tomorrow's not promised. And I know it's not much fun listening to somebody cry on a podcast, but, uh, you know, that's another thing I was thinking about the other morning was uh, kind of my, uh, my personal evolution with crying. I think when we're little... We cry so selfishly, you know, we cry when we're hungry, we cry when, when we don't get our way, we cry when we're scared, we cry, you know, just at anything. A baby cries a lot. It's it's kind of one of its primary forms of communication. And then we get old, old enough to start being more aware of our crying and start feeling ashamed of it. And I think partly rightly so, because I think part of what we feel ashamed of is we recognize we're being spoiled, we're being selfish. That's We're crying about the wrong things. So as we get older, I think we try to take control of that. And for a while, and I'm just, you know, this is a general thing. I think it's different for between men and women and then between individuals. But we stop crying. We've learned to kind of like rechannel our grief. But I think I've reached a certain age, and I wonder if other people reach this age too, where suddenly the crying comes back, but it suddenly feels appropriate. I don't feel ashamed of crying anymore because I know I'm crying for the right reasons. I know when my mom is passing away, that's an appropriate time to cry. And so when I cry, I don't cry with embarrassment anymore. Um, And I don't know, I guess that was just uh, something I I found kind of uh, interesting is how much crying, you know, what the hell is crying? Why does our body suddenly, you know, our faces contort, water comes out of our eyes, our snot comes out of our noses. Like, what the fuck is that? Why does the body respond that way? You're emoting. How does, yeah, is that just a way of shedding grief? Like, just like we sweat? I mean, sweat cools your body. What the hell does crying literally do? But uh, this relationship we have, and again, you know, we talked about how little we know. We don't even know what the fuck crying is. Mm. But my relationship with it has changed. And, uh, yeah. And... I guess, you know, while we're talking about cards, I'm going to try to get through this without blubbering, but I wanted to read this Mother's Day card. Um, God knows it's not the best thing I've ever written. You know, when I read it now, I kind of wince at how, uh, I don't know, there's parts of it that just seem sort of childish, and I, uh, I'm i not proud of this work. Um, I wish I could have written her something better to put on her wall. Um, but she liked it. Yeah. So that's why I'm sharing it, because it mattered to her. It was from her son. (laughs) It says, Happy Mother's Day. This woman, she grew up in such poverty, a child of such bad alcoholic parents, that her little sister died of malnutrition before she was taken away. She spent the next several years surviving abuses at one fucked-up foster home after another before being adopted by strict upper-middle-class crackers with standards she could never and never wanted to measure up to. She eventually dropped out of college, was all but disowned by the only family she ever knew, and found my father. She was to spend the next almost two decades in an abusive marriage peppered by insanity, petty crimes, mental institutions, a bank robbery, more poverty, and hitchhiking across the country. This woman is my mother, and I'm so very thankful for her. She came through all of that with a ready smile even when she cried. An endless sense of humor, a gentle humility and a baffling lack of ill will towards anyone. (laughs) She raised me with a tenderness she was never shown, giving me butterfly kisses when her power was cut off, taking walks with me when our house was a nightmare, laughing with me when there was no hope, no help to be seen. She taught me not to seek riches and things, but to seek them in my own heart and in the free magic of nature. She showed me that humor and stubbornness make better survival skills than viciousness and ambition. She guided me to love books, to explore ideas, to take responsibility for my own learning, and to always keep an open mind and think further. My mom has shown me unwavering love and support. Even when I screamed, I hate you. Even when I traveled down my darkest roads, she had faith in me long after I was sure I was forever lost. I owe the best of myself to her. Happy Mother's Day, Nancy Sue Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Love, Gumby. I love that. And it goes, you know, I've mentioned in a podcast a few podcasts ago that my grandma, um, she said, 
she said something and it's one of those things that old people I think say or you know people that have had grandchildren and they say like you couldn't have asked for better parents could you and of course there's one side of you that's like well I I don't know maybe I could have but on the other hand it's like no I don't know this is what shaped me this is this is my experience on earth and I don't I I wouldn't change it yeah and I feel glad that uh, we live in a van actually I'm glad for our hobos lives right now um (laughs) for all the reasons that we've talked about in so many episodes but for a new reason right now is that we get to be here We don't have a job pulling at us. We don't have to ask anybody's permission to give us some leave to do this. We don't have to go home. Our home is here in the parking lot. Um, And this is one of those times that, like, it's really poignant to me that I'm thankful that I live such a mobile, uh, Spartan existence. Mm. It makes this much easier, and I'm glad that I'm available to be here at this time. Yeah, and, you know, um, there may be people out there who uh, maybe they know someone um, that's had a bunch of health problems and it's hard because you know it's like this whole conversation about my body my choice what do you do with an adult that you know they want to live a certain way whether it's you know having unmanaged diabetes or you know not getting enough of one thing or another exercise or something like that It's their life, and we were talking a little bit earlier this afternoon about, um, like, loving people where they are. Do you have anything you want to... Well, why don't you talk more on it? What does that mean? Yeah, I guess it's it's a different feeling when you love someone where they're at. Like, you were talking about not necessarily approving of how your mom's life, uh, you know, her, her lifestyle choices. And yet you still love her. I talked before about Rufus, the, uh, the unruly puppy that I was trying to help out and like exercise him and teach him how to walk on a leash. And the poor thing has already been through so much. He was adopted and probably brought back several times. And now he's with a person that doesn't, give him what puppies need you know not enough attention not enough exercise and so even though this dog is kind of annoying you know you just gotta you gotta share love with him it's not his I don't know fault is the right word he's just a puppy and we're all just human so I guess that's that's all I can really say on that I I felt it it's uh it's kind of like you have to use that muscle. You have to practice loving someone where they are. Yeah, I. the only thing I'd add to that is um, I, I see that we get in, it's easy to get into a habit of using our love to try to train people. We give our love as a reward. We withhold our love as punishment. And um, I didn't think I was doing that. And I realized I was. And uh just as another, you know, caution. Like I said, you know, I'm grieving. I know this sounds like, you know, I'm a blubbering mess, and I am on a, a blubbering mess on one level. But on another level, I'm really thankful for the the chance to, like, have my walls crumble and see some things I didn't see before. And uh, if you would have asked me two weeks ago whether I was doing that, I don't think I would have seen it. Mm. Now I see it. And I think it's pretty common. I think most of us do this and uh yeah how powerful it is just to love somebody because they're sharing this life with you what if we all you know did that more just that person on the street i mean i don't even know who the fuck they are i don't want to talk to them i don't uh i may never see them again but that brief moment that they caught my eye they're sharing this of all the times all the spaces you know just loving people where they're at like that's a powerful thing. Practice it. Yeah, and I don't know how to practice that. I guess <laughs> I guess like any kind of practice is repetition, just trying it. But Try uh, something even as I'm saying that, I kind of feel like that's a fucking platitude. I'm really trying not to 
fall into the <laughs> platitudes, you know, and shit like that. I don't know. Yeah, something felt gotta, something felt superficial about that. It's got to be from an authentic place, and if you try it and it doesn't feel authentic, maybe you try something else. Like, well, we used to smile at each other before we had to wear masks all the time, and especially at a place like a hospice, you know, you you're seeing other people suffer. You know, at least a little bit of what they're feeling. There was a woman in the hallway this morning, and she was <laughs> she was carrying like three cups of coffee in one of those cardboard holders and a little pack of donuts and she was shaking the poor thing was just trembling all over and doing one of those cries like (gasps) you know like she's just gasping for air and uh I didn't know her I don't know what her beliefs are her political affiliations but I didn't care I just I said that's really nice of you to bring those you know those treats and I put my hand on her shoulder and oh, I said are you okay and she's like I'm just waiting for somebody and I said all right but you know that's the type of thing like you don't know who the person is but you set all that shit aside that's all I got to say about that yeah Teresa found some nice uh, Indian flute music that we've got playing on her laptop in there Native American <laughs> Well, that's the one thing I've heard that uh, <laughs> people that uh, were the original inhabitant, well, original, you know, that's a whole other debate as well. You know, everything's in flux, but you know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> but the Indians, that's the one thing that they seem to agree on is Native American is some bullshit. I had one guy say, we're not from India. I said this on, uh, I shared on Facebook and called uh, the indigenous people of this country Indians. He said, I prefer Native and I'm just like, we're all native from somewhere. I prefer native too. You know, I like I like that word. That's a nice word, isn't it? And uh, if I ever have to refer to you, I will try to remember to respect that. I got no problem calling you native. But turns out there's other people that you don't speak for that prefer Indian. So suck it. <laughs> but anyway, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, my mom really respected Indians. And, you know, you can do your whole little like white privilege bullshit and fuck you if you do. But she liked Indians. She idealized them, you know, the romanticism. And uh, that's part of what informed me growing up is she instilled that in me. And what that translated to me is not to run off and go try to, like, get to know Indians or, you know, try to pretend to be Indian. What what she – underneath it, I think what drew her was that a people that lived close to nature. And that's what got into my bones. So – Part of that, you know, if you listen to her interview at the end, we Teresa and I laugh like when we hear it because uh, my mom says, I've just got this random thought that's coming to me. And, you know, it's playing on the playing Indian on the, the playground and going. And we laugh at how innocently racist that is. It's whimsical. Yeah. I mean, I know my mom, you know, like she's not racist, but it's by our cultural standards. Like It's so funny to hear that. Um, so this Indian flute music sounds so apropos. Um, she loved the flute. That was the first instrument I ever played because I didn't know one instrument for instrument from another. And when I got in sixth grade, it was time to get in band and choose an instrument. And my mom liked flute, so I picked a flute. And, uh, you know, the first thing about picking up the flute was hot damn i am the only guy in this class i'm surrounded by girls yes (laughs) the second thought was shit i play a flute uh i'm surrounded by girls who don't respect me because i play a flute (laughs) what were you supposed to play Uh, i don't know something manly like uh you know if you if you really hung low you could play a tuba you know a saxophone oh i did end up playing the saxophone Ah. Uh, I played played the flute really well. Actually, a band teacher told me that I was like the best, better than all the girls. Uh, but then they started fucking off, and I didn't care about school and rebelling, so they kept sticking me on other instruments. Played the drums for a while, the sax. But and this flute music is really nice because it's got nature sounds in the background, bird songs, and uh, wolf howls, wolf howls, water frog songs. I've I've even heard southern chorus frogs, which uh, my mom was very aware was my favorite, one of my favorite nature sounds ever. Sounds like a ratchet, and it just always gives me hope in the darkest times. Uh, Our last episode, we talked about, or I talked about how the end of January was the hardest month for me. It feels like death is right around the corner, and lo and behold, (laughs) uh, truer words were never spoken. But right around now, 
pretty soon. I haven't heard him yet, but I know pretty soon, right when I'm, I feel done. I feel like my race is run. I feel like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through another spring, you know, 45 might've been my number. I want to hear them Southern chorus frogs. And it's like the prelude to the dawn. It's the spring coming. And that's going to give me renewed hope. It does every year. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say that, uh, there've been people that have already, um, passed, in, like in the hallway where we're at that we've seen you know like doors be open and there's nobody in the bed anymore and um, and then there'll be like a new name on the little plate so I mean it's happening all around us and uh, I I remembered the first day that we were at the hospice the sounds that people had coming from their room whether it was gospel music or uh, um, classical music and it kind of reminded me of that scene in Soylent Green the movie <laughs> where people that were ready to die, they'd like go into this place and just kind of be again, like heavily medicated in that instance, but they'd have like nature scenes and classical music or whatever they chose to play. And uh, I just thought that was, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my favorite scene in Soylent Green. I like <laughs> that as well. And just trying to, uh, you know, recognize and honor Nancy's wishes um, to not just, you know, to not have tubes and, and not have all this, uh, stuff that's just going to keep her, her body alive. And once she's gone to, uh, to be cremated and to be with her, her pets, her beloved dogs that have gone before her. Yeah. Actually the first I heard about my mom, uh, having the second stroke, we were actually on our way to a class I was going to teach my Thursday class and got a, Teresa got a phone call while she was in the library. I was waiting out in the van from her boyfriend saying, you need to get to the hospital right now. And uh, she came rushing out and said, we got to go. And so we happened to be near the hospital. It didn't take us long. And uh, he didn't want to make this decision by himself, understandably. And it was basically they could try to operate on her, but they were saying she's probably going to be on tubes for the rest of her life, probably won't even be conscious, might be a vegetable, would need machines to live, or we can take the route, the hospice care. And uh, Red just wanted confirmation of what we both knew. Red is her boyfriend that uh, she wouldn't want that. None of us do. We don't want to be kept alive on machines just for the sake of a pumping heart. Um, So yeah, we made that decision. And And it's hard too, because I I remember my mom, when my dad died, she felt so much blame or she blamed herself. Um, she felt so much guilt because of the choice that she had to make to, again, like keep my dad on machines that would, you know, put oxygen into his lungs, help him basically breathe or to let him just let him go. And, uh, that is, it almost seems like it's a decision that we shouldn't have to make. And yet here we are. I remember when your dad died and you were telling me about all, you know, all the things happening and your mom had to make that decision. And, uh, when it was at arm's length, it seemed like, why would she feel guilty? Like, I mean, she knows that's what he wants. I feel like that's an easy decision. Yeah. I'll let him go. But, uh, it's amazing how different things are when they're not at arm's length. Um, I think we abstract everything to make it easier. And I know I did the right thing. I don't have, you know, like I told you, I shared my regrets that I do have with my mom. I don't regret this decision of letting her go. I know it's the right decision, and yet it is hard. Man, it's hard to see her there. And as you said, Teresa, she's got all these things that uh, stand in the way of her recovering. But what's literally happening is she's in there, and she's starving to death. She's fading. She told me when we came back from the mountains last autumn, I feel like I'm slipping away day by day. I feel like a piece of me is just slipping away every day. And uh, that's what it looked like to us as well. Um, I thought I'd wrap my mind around this. You know, I thought I had... uh, I knew my mom was dying. I knew that my mom every day, you know, this could be the one. On one level, I knew that. And I knew that the woman that was in that house this winter that we'd try to check on now and then didn't feel like my mom anymore. Those conversations I used to have with her, I mean, my mom liked to challenge me. I liked to, like, share things with her. I liked to make her laugh. Well, that was gone. She wasn't operating on that level anymore. And uh, I just 
you know, all, all I was doing was kind of a mechanical, Hey mom, you know, like, do you need anything? No. And, uh, that's about it. And say, I love you on the way out. And that's about what we had left. And I've always hated the words. I love you. I don't like saying I love you. I feel like in our culture, we, we don't understand what that means. It feels fake. It feels like something you do for the other person, which maybe it is. Maybe that's what it's about. Um, but I'd say it. I'd go through the ritual. She means something to me, obviously, but I don't know what love is, and I hate pretending like I do. And, uh, yeah, so I thought I was ready for that. And, uh, actually, I didn't cry. I didn't shed a tear for my mom in the hospital. No, actually, I did cry a little bit, but it didn't really get to me. When we made the decision to let her go, it didn't really come flooding in until we decided to come visit her at this hospice days ago. Mm. And I went to get that framed Mother's Day card, and I went to get this teddy bear that she's got. Oh, yeah. And uh, his name is Mr. Fitzpatrick, but uh, his friends call him Mr. Fitz. (laughs) And I went looking for him, and... um, Turns out he was knocked down on the floor where the dog sleeps, and the dog chews everything up. Chewed the TV remote control, chewed her cell phone up, tears up everything. Somehow, miraculously, this bear did not get torn to pieces. I think it was protected by your mom's like childhood love for this animal, for this Maybe. teddy bear. And my mom... You know, it's a hoarder, as I've shared, and her house is a mess, and uh, things get moldy in there. It's just, you know, I guess I just didn't know what to do with my mom. I'm not a wealthy man. I don't want to be a wealthy man, so, like, you know, putting her up in some place or whatever, it's kind of like you made your bed. You know, I wish you would clean. I wish you would do this. I wish you would do things different, but this is your choice. You're an adult. I have to respect that, but it's nasty in there, and the bear, you know, has got some mold on him and stuff like that, just... He's not unscathed from the neglect of the house. <sighs> so I got the bear, and when I brought him out to the fire where we camp, our winter camp, you know, it's nighttime, the fire's going, it's a cold night, and that's when it all came flooding back looking at that bear. I've known that bear my entire life. Um, my mom must have gotten him around 1963. I think she got him when she was seven, and uh, She was going from foster home to foster home. I'm not going to go over all this again because you can listen to her interview. But basically, she didn't have much at all. And she was surrounded by strangers. And sometimes it breaks my heart to think about what that must have been like for my mom. I can't imagine being a little little girl, a little child, and uh, not have anybody love you. I had my mom. My dad was a fucking lunatic. I guess he loved me in his way, but my mom loved me directly. It was unmistakable. She always has. She always supported me. She always went out of her way to say, I'm so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And that bear, you know, just holding that bear and uh, thinking about that there must have been times that all she had was that bear. She didn't have somebody like her. And that's when it really hit me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that bear... God, he's something. If you want to see a picture of him, I posted a picture of him on Facebook. If you want to check out our, our Escaping Society Facebook page, but he's beat up. He's got a ear chewed off from like some dog that's been dead for like half a de- half a century. He's got another ear chewed off by some more recent dog, and only she remembers who. He's got his plastic nose and mouth that's kind of charred by a house fire. Oh my God. That he survived. His uh, eyes got chewed off by another pet. My mom, like, patched them back on with fabric that has some significance only she knows. Um, she tore his hair off as a little girl to make a wig for some doll. You know, he's just been through the ringer. And uh, I grew up with that bear. She said, you know, she, she, she taught me that this bear is like a sacred object. This is Mr. Fitz. You treat Mr. Fitz well. And the fact that he was laying on the ground like that tells me something about I guess just how far gone she was. And, uh, yeah, I just, every place I've lived, if I had a house, I rented a house, Mr. Fitz was there. He's been there through everything. And, um, I think of him almost like the embodiment of my mom's soul. Mm -hmm. He looks like my mom to me, like, uh, beat up. What smiling? Weather, weathered, (laughs) threadbare, and, uh, Patched together, but smiling. Yeah, there's not a trace of meanness in him. And that's my mom. Yeah, and I try to tell 
I sound like a broken record, but I try to tell the uh, every single nurse or nurse assistant or whoever comes in the room, like, this is Mr. Fitz. Like, this is an important, an important item. I don't want to call it an item, but this is an important thing, whatever you want to call him, to uh, to have here with her. They have a policy that you can't have stuffed animals. F that. And to their credit, nobody has had a problem with Mr. Fitz. So yeah. I think most of the nurses are willing to, uh, you know, set aside whatever policies they have for whatever bizarre reasons and just recognize, like, no, there's a human thing happening. Like, I'm not going to pick this fight of saying you can't have a stuffed animal because it would be a fight. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to adapt. I put on my mask going in. You know, I'm not, this is not the place to, like, put my stake in the ground about what I think. But that would be the place where I'd put the stake in the ground. That that bear is going to be in that bed with her. Yeah. He started this journey. He's known her longer than I have. And he's going to go. He's going to be here until the end. Yeah. And I'll fucking break somebody's goddamn arm before that changes. <laughs> About to be a fight at the hospice. Yeah, in that room, there's a... Uh... There's this little pamphlet that's like, you know, when death is near or something. And I read that the first day. And, wow, it's um, it's so crazy how, like Gumby was saying, you know, Nancy was slipping away, like, piece by piece. And I don't know if I was too close to it or I was just in denial or something. But, but reading about the signs of when a person's getting ready to die, whether it's not eating a whole lot... Um, not really having conversations or um, having conversations with people that aren't there. Often people that have um, passed before, you know, that are that are already dead. And all these things were happening um, with Nancy. And it, I don't know if there could have been anything done because it's it's her life, it's her decisions. But uh, well, it was just interesting to uh, to read that and to reflect on the journey that she's been on for for these many months yeah and it's bizarre my mom has been my only real family and i uh don't say that to exclude people like Teresa that are close to me but you know family biological family the kind of people that no matter what you say no matter how alienated you get that connection is there um and we all know the difference, you know. There's ex-wives, there's ex-girlfriends, there's people that, like, you say the wrong thing. You lose those people. And then there's family that, like, even when you want to lose them sometimes, you can't lose them. You can't lose me. And my mom was basically <laughs> that, you know. I don't have no other family. I've got, like, half-brothers and sisters I didn't grow up with that like to pretend they're family. And, oh, we share DNA. I don't give a fuck about DNA. I share DNA with a banana. <laughs> and I eat the banana. Um but yeah, it's it's been kind of a poignant thing. I've had a couple relatives, you know, express their condolences and then try to like claim to be family. And I don't want to get in arguments right now. There's so much drama in these emotionally charged times, and I don't want to be one of those people. I'm trying to make it easy on people, so I just thank them as graciously as I can. But uh, I didn't grow up with them. They didn't visit me. They weren't part of my household. They never, you know, I was a kid. I. I they weren't there. So to just step in and like, hey, we're family. No, you're not. Sherlock's family, Teresa's family, and, you know, in that different kind of family way, tribe maybe is a better word. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, have been reflecting on that. Like, how now I've been anticipating for a while, like, sooner or later I'm going to be it. You know, like, there's no more family for me, not in that sense. The tree, and, um, the tree is no longer branching out. It's just stopped here. Yeah, I'm. I'm. That was it. I feel like an orphan myself. I feel like my I've <laughs> taken on my mom's mantle as the orphan. And uh, but that's okay. I'm so glad that I've uh, explored a way of seeing things where I don't feel alone. Mm. Um, I feel connected. I feel connected to the trees. I feel connected to things that don't feel fake or forced. Um, but it's still strange. And Teresa and I were reflecting the other day on how we don't have kids. We don't plan on having kids and how bizarre it is to think that 100% of our ancestors, every single person who constitutes that line going back to the beginning of any known life in this entire universe, as far as we know, we are both the ends of those lines. All those people that had kids, if you don't have kids, you're the terminus of a line 
of an ancient, ancient, ancient line. And uh, it's kind of a strange thought. It doesn't make me feel like I have a duty to have kids or want to run out and have a kid. It just uh, brings my attention to the significance of that. Yeah. It's a big choice. 100% of my genes, my genetics, all the, the things that make me up are people who chose something different than what I am now choosing. It's sobering. Yeah. And to think why you and I have made that choice, like what shaped us. I used to blame, (laughs) candidly, I used to blame my parents. I used to see a lot of fights happen, especially my mom instigating and my dad just kind of whatever she wanted, just like give it to her to just stop the fight. And I didn't ever want to be like that. And I certainly didn't want to put anybody else through that, meaning a kid. Um, but I don't, I don't think I blame my parents anymore. I don't know if I blame anybody. It's just something that, I don't know, wasn't for me, wasn't in the cards, I guess. My family upbringing definitely influenced me not having kids. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I just felt like these genes that cause people to act like this, to be like this, to suffer like this, I, I feel no... Uh, I feel no motivation to continue this this line. And, um, yeah, my mom, as I was holding that bear around the fire that night, I was also thinking about how my mom, the entire time I've known her, she suffered. My mom has suffered her entire life. Um, health problems, my dad, uh, poverty, anxiety. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, and... I guess I've grown kind of cold. It's the only way that I've learned to survive it growing up is to be around somebody you love who's suffering and to be powerless. My dad, I'd hear fights. I'd hear my dad hit my mom and beat my mom, and I couldn't intervene. I was a little kid. I'd feel my I'd, I'd, my mom would be worried about bills when I was a little older, and I, you know, I was still too young to work. I was I couldn't help and health problems. You know, she'd go to the hospital, and you know, I. I didn't know how to heal her pancreas. It just powerlessness, 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 just that feeling. And eventually, I guess I just got some distance. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 we got to be careful of what we get, like, get calloused. Those walls. Yeah. The things that help us survive also come with a cost. I guess everything comes with a cost. Oh, there's a dog over there, but I think it's on the leash. Um, yeah, and we were reflecting on, again, like the number of deaths that we've we've personally known uh, just in the past year or two, and how still none of them are uh, COVID-related. Um, and how I, I still feel like a lot of the people that have passed, especially in the last two years, have... It's not that I wanted them to depart this world but this world this culture I guess I should say is just getting so freaking crazy like maybe these folks that are going on ahead of me like maybe it maybe it is for the best because I don't know how some of them would have fared this world's just getting harder and harder man got anything to say about this old world isn't that what we talk about every episode this old world I reckon and I guess, uh, you know, is there anything else that you want to say about my mom? We were, uh, we didn't know if you might have noticed at the beginning, we didn't give this one a title because we didn't really know where this was going to go. We didn't know if it was going to be all about my mom or if there were some other topics that we might want to talk about. So, uh, yeah, I guess, is there anything else that um, you wanted to say? Gumby insisted that we do the interview with his mom. He kept on like really bugging me. Like, come on, what are, you, what are your questions? You know, make sure that we write down her questions so that she doesn't forget. Cause she might not write them down. This was, you know, years ago. Well, what, two years ago. And that was before her heart surgery. Didn't she have like a heart attack and then she had a stroke? I think so. It's, it's been, it's been a lot for her. So I am just so, so very glad that you pushed that, that you insisted on that interview, because I, I find that to be very special. Yeah, me too. 
And I want to thank, uh, you know, I've shared some things on Facebook, like I said, and some of our listeners uh, do follow us on our Facebook page and have said some kind words. And uh, I want to thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate the uh, the support. Um, you know, like I said, I'm trying to, trying to keep a perspective on this. I know it's hard and I want to own that. I don't want to like hide from the way I feel, but I also don't want to inflate it either. It's easy to feel like, why me? Like, other people haven't gone through stuff like this, and I know that's not true. Um, so I'm just, uh, yeah, trying to trying to steer through this as honestly as I can. And um, thank you for all the sharing and the kind words and the the thoughts and well wishes. Um, I guess that's mainly what I wanted to say. And uh. Yeah, like I've uh, told people, spare a thought for Nancy. You know, if you if you know her, um, spare a thought for that memory you have of her. And uh, if you don't, listen to that interview. Um, I think I think we managed through the questions to kind of preserve and capture some of what was Nancy Montgomery. And uh, if you listen to that interview, you know something about my mom. And uh, yeah, just kind of. She was only a hobo, but one more is gone, as Bob Dylan might have said. Shall I do the listener writing? Is there anything else you want to talk about as far as for this episode? or? I don't think so. I mean, I feel like this is a, a good place for me if it is for you. Yeah. Well, one more thing I want to add just as a, uh, another thing that's happening this month that's uh, an upbeat, you know, in the midst of all this death. Um there's life. So our dog, Sherlock, this is his birthday month. Mm. Um, I've never tried to just pick out an arbitrary date because I don't know when he was born, but it was sometime in February. So February is his birthday month and uh, old Shirley turns 12. So I'm going to have to be nice to his barking obnoxious ass all month. (laughs) I'm going to try hard. (laughs) He's laying in the sunshine now. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad that he's he's got a good life and he knows it. Um, we love him and he loves us. And, you know, I posted some pictures of him too. So if you uh, haven't seen what Sherlock looks like, he's a really sweet dog. And I've got this one picture I shared, especially that uh, he's got his head on all this dumpster dive food that we piled in the back seat with him where he could barely fit back there. And he's using it as a pillow. And his eyes, he has such personality in those eyes. And... uh you know, I guess the rest of us is we are, uh, like I told my mom, you know, all those people that have gone before you and mainly my mom not being a people person, I'm talking about pets. I'm talking about non-human people. You're about to go where they went. Every single person on this planet dies. We tend to try to make it seem like such an unnatural thing. It's hard. That's real. But it's not unnatural. And uh, it's not to be fought. It's not to be uh, avoided. Um And she's about to go join where every single person is gone. And I remind her that all the people you might worry about leaving behind, we're right behind you. Mm -hmm. Whatever years pass before we join her, I mean, it's the blink of an eye in the real time of whatever passes. You know, we're right behind her. Um, So I guess the rest of us that are still here, we just keep on keeping on. Try to do our best and uh, love the people around us. And by people, I also include those non-human people and... uh, Fucking live your life, man. Like, recklessly. Get fucking reckless. Quit doing the safe <laughs> thing. You're gonna die. All of us are gonna die. I know I'm, like, kicking a dead horse here. I've said this so many times, but times like this, it feels poignant once again, you know? Get out there. You ever thought about, man, I kind of wanted to, like, hitchhike or hit the road or fucking go live in the woods? Go do it. Yeah. Don't fucking write a book. Go live a kind of life that somebody else wants to write a book about. (laughs) I like that. I like that a lot. Our listener write-in comes from Teresa. This Teresa is with an H. My name does not have an H, so that's how you know it's not me. Um, And Teresa actually knew your mom from way back. But now she lives in uh, Fort Defiance, Arizona. Yeah, she didn't know her well, but I remember uh, this Teresa was... uh, this 
super hot little uh, little teenager that used to hang around the store that my mom worked at. Hmm. And I think she was related, related to the owner. His name was Buddy, and he had a speech impediment. He was quite a character hmm. hey, buddy. way out in the country. But, uh, yeah, everybody would just, you know, she was one of those like, ooh, <laughs> hmm. eye candy. But she crossed paths briefly with my mom and got to, you know, kind of know her and talk to her a little bit at the store. So ter- hot Teresa, <laughs> right? Hot Teresa. Yeah, not bag lady Teresa. <laughs> hot Teresa writes, God bless your sweetest mom, Nancy. What an amazingly beautiful spirit she has. And I pray she flies fearlessly into the biggest, most loving and accepting arms of our Heavenly Father. It tears my heart to know how much this world missed out from knowing her. I absolutely loved, loved, loved to hear Teresa, me, haha, lovingly laugh and share such special and intimate moments with your dear mother. Sending you all love, prayers, and positivity. What an absolute blessing that Nancy overcame her fear and shared. May she rest in love, peace, and acceptance. And that was from the interview. Uh, or she heard, she listened to the interview, Rebel Without a, Cla- Without a Cause, interview Nancy. Thank you, Teresa. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. So, if, you, uh, if you'd like to write in, you can visit our website, escapingsociety.weebly, with a B, dot com. And uh, we have our comment form there on the front page. We also have a link to our Facebook page, YouTube videos, um, as well as a donate button. And... Uh, Gosh, is there anything else? No, I think that's it. Live your life. Don't let fear rule your life. And we don't need it It's killing your kids So why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay But you don't need to heed it You can give them the finger There's no time to linger So Thank you for listening to our song It's not very good And it went kind of long Don't care if you like it Cause we'll be gone Over that next horizon We 